With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 65th episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues. And I also love to provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security, but also to help help you, the listeners, to better protect your privacy and also to help the businesses listening to protect the privacy of those whose personal information they collect. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, or any of the other many outlets where you have your podcast or news app. And also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. You know, I just learned that my show is past the 84,000 listeners mark. And... Looking at the different locations where listeners are at, there are over 64 countries tuning in. And I was just, it, I, it's always so interesting with, to me to hear where they're from. So my most listeners right now are from the United States, but that's closely followed by China and then by Ireland, Germany, and then Russia. So thank you all for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And if you need help with information security or privacy, let me know that as well. You know, I've mentioned on past shows that I've recently done some really interesting expert witness work, and I love doing that so much. I love the details that are involved with that. So keep me in mind if you ever have such a need. And also, please keep your feedback and questions coming in. I truly do welcome them all. I may not get time to respond to each of them, but as many of you know who've listened to my show before, I do answer a lot of them on uh, online. Now, a reminder, the NIST Privacy Framework Development is an active project that's lasting throughout 2019, and I'm one of the core members of that project, and we want to get as much feedback from as many different countries, from the general public, from as many different uh, industries and perspectives as possible. Please go to nist.gov forward slash privacy hyphen framework to see more information and also to provide feedback on the many different documents that we have here. Now, my May 
Privacy Professor Tips message was published on April 30th. You can sign up for my free monthly tips messages by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. I've been providing these tips for free since 2007, and I do this in an effort to increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues, and I also do it to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees as part of their information security and privacy education programs, and also to support their due diligence requirements. So my thanks to the several thousand of you now out there who do that, making uh, my tips as part of your awareness programs. Well, now for my tip for my listeners for the week. So last week, I provided the keynote at the Secure World Expo in the greater Kansas City area, actually in the Overland Park Conference Center. My keynote was titled, Prevent Nightmares in the Internet of Things. And one of the points I made was how easy it is to use a tool like Shodan to find home security and baby monitors and then to actually see which ones have strong security controls on them, but also to find those that do not have strong security controls or no security controls at all. Then be able to access the data from them and live stream the images and so on if you don't have strong security controls. Well, related to this, you know, many more people are using security systems and apps that control the systems and smart baby monitors and other similar types of devices. A large portion of those devices have very weak security and privacy controls. Or they have just huge vulnerabilities because they were not engineered with cybersecurity in mind. Now, during my keynote last week, I showed this image of an area for a large U.S. metropolitan city. And within that image, there were hundreds of red dots. And each of those red dots showed at each location where home security monitors were in use. And I created this image through the use of Shodan, and through that, those dots would show along with drilling down, if you uh, clicked on them, which of the different monitors and security systems did not have security controls implemented. And most of them were personal residences, and it also showed through a simple tool those that did not use encryption on those monitoring systems and those that still use the default password and other security problems. Just think about it. I found all of these instantaneously using a freely available tool. Anybody could go to each of those locations using this tool through the internet and take over the security camera, communicate with those in the vicinity, do an unlimited number of other activities, some of which could be malicious. When I show such maps, when I'm doing my keynotes, it really 
raises concerns. I used to show the map for the city I was speaking in, giving the keynote, but that created so many concerns for those in the audience because inevitably a few of the people in the audience saw what looked like to be their locations where their homes were located with the red dots on them. So I don't do it like that anymore, but I still show the maps. So everyone using security monitors you know, they're already thinking about their safety. That's why they're using the, the safety monitors, the security monitors, uh, the baby monitors, and so on. But too few are thinking about their privacy, and very, very few are thinking about the cybersecurity issues. So in addition to these human flaws of not paying enough attention to home security monitors and baby monitors, security and privacy, a variety of recent research reports indicate that millions of security cameras have just a huge plethora of security holes as a result of faulty, insufficient engineering or lack of thorough testing, and a wide range of other reasons. Now, these security uh, holes can allow unauthorized people to eavesdrop, to live stream video from the houses, to steal credentials, and to take over devices without the owner's knowledge. Most of the research reported that the flaws, particularly uh, being exploited, were found in software developed by Shenzhen Uni Technology of China, whose tech is included in millions of IoT devices, including security cameras, baby monitors, webcams, doorbells, and video recorders, just to name a few. So here's my tip. Before purchasing a home security device or a baby monitor, look to see if it has peer-to-peer capabilities. Why? Because it's within these peer-to-peer capabilities and how they're designed without a lot of security controls where a large portion of these security holes are found. Generally, I advise to buy them, not buy them, if if they do have peer-to-peer. Other systems that do not allow for peer-to-peer are more secure just because of that. If you already have a home security or monitoring device, Check to see the security controls provided within them and set them to the strongest possible controls. Do not use the default password that came with the device. Way too many people do that. And turn off peer-to-peer connections if they're, if they're actually open on what you're using. Now, if your system does not allow you to turn off peer-to-peer connections, then consider getting a different system. If you don't, not only could your home show up on my show dance scans, reporting to me, you know, through what you're seeing through your monitors and your other security systems and, and seeing the vulnerable systems that you're using and exactly where they're locating it also. But just think about how many other malicious criminals online are also able to get to this information and they could target you and your home as a result. So that's my tip for today. Well, now on to today's topic. You know, I've not done a show on IT, InfoSec, or privacy careers for a really long time. You know, I think it's been since since last August 
of 2018. And I was reminded of this recently when I attended the initiation ceremony for one of my sons who got um, invited to belong to Ta Beta Pi. It's an engineering honor society. And of course, I'm very proud of him. You know, he was a high school valedictorian in a graduating class of 465 students. And he just finished this week his sophomore year at his university. And during that Ta Beta Pi banquet, Many of the folks there who were also being initiated and already members, they were talking about their careers and what they wanted to do. And then the dean of the university's really excellent College of Engineering gave the keynote, and she described her very interesting career in engineering. And I knew I wanted to do another show on on careers. I saw right there, I've got to do another one. And I wanted to speak with someone who has started his or her own business and has also worked in a variety of different types of organizations, doing a variety of work activities and in multiple countries. So today, I am just so excited to have as my guest, Elena Elkina co-founder and partner at Alita Consulting, where Elena advises clients on privacy and information security. Now, during Elena's 20-year legal career, she has worked with financial and healthcare institutions, software companies, major law firms, and the government sector. And over the past decade, Elena has focused on creating global privacy programs, working closely with development and business teams to build cloud, web, and mobile consumer and business products. Elena is a co-founder for Women in Security and Privacy, or WISP for short, a nonprofit organization that aims to advance women in the privacy and security careers. Elena also serves on the advisory board of Stay Safe Online. Elena received her law degrees from the University of Russian Academy of Education in Russia and also from Berkeley Law School. Elena has many different uh, certified information privacy professional certifications. And in 2018, Elena received a Global Mentor Financial Times Award Heroes, Champions of Women in Business 2018. Elena, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for inviting me to join you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you on, and I'm just, I'm so curious myself to know about, you know, your career and how you got started. And one of the things I know that my listeners always Um, are interested in knowing as well when we talk about careers is, you know, growing up, like when you were growing up, were you in an environment that kind of pushed gender roles or were you encouraged to, you know, do whatever you want or, you know, what was that like growing up? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I grew up in Soviet Union, so I'm a Soviet Union baby. So it's an interesting um kind of paradox, from one side, we had a very specific place for a woman in Soviet society, and it was basically home and kitchen. Um, at the same time, women usually manage money and the whole household, so in a way, they had more responsibilities than just cook and provide kind of like a 
a beautiful environment for the family. Mm-hmm. At the same time, career-wise, uh, there are more opportunities open to women. Uh, most of my friends are engineers. And I would say not most of my friends. When, I think, when I'm thinking about uh, my high school class, and I graduated from high school in 95, most of my female friends went to study engineering. I was the only one who went to law school, and I think we had two female like classmates who went to study finance. The rest of us, and meaning like about 15, 17 girls, went to study engineering. So it's interesting to see how even though the place of a woman was at home and in the kitchen traditionally, um, many women, uh, it was not just a question of like what I'm going to study. You can study anything. It was not like one profession was specifically designed for boys and another one was designed for girls. Um, but also, I was very rebellious child, and um, <laughs> it was very hard for my parents to prohibit uh, <laughs> me from doing something. And um, I was not encouraged to do one thing or another. I kind of always knew what I wanted to do, and I was like a tank. I knew, like, I'm going to do it because I really wanted to. And it didn't happen. If it didn't happen, it just I felt like I didn't mean to be. So that was my kind of philosophy, even when I was a child. Well, uh, and... Mm-hmm. And law. So what, what, you know, you said most of your uh, friends were looking at engineering and so on. What drew you to law? What, what was the appeal there? Very naive uh, <laughs> to change the world, <laughs> to make uh-huh. the world a better place. Um, I think many lawyers, especially, not many, actually, majority of people or kids, when they dream about becoming a lawyer, I think many of us, have this kind of like dream to change the world, to make the world a better place. And we use a law as a tool, as a weapon to accomplish that. And of course, the moment I got my first job, I was very disappointed in the legal system. And not only in Russia, but in general, how the legal system operates and how it's almost impossible to change the world um, using legal legal mechanism. And um, had to readjust my career pretty quickly to, uh, to stay in the legal profession. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, what I found interesting, you have degrees from both university in Russia and a university in the U.S. Uh, were, you know, were like going to um, college, was it much different? Is it pretty pretty similar uh, in both cases as far as, you know, four to five years it takes to get through to get a degree mm-hmm. and things like that? Um, when I was studying in Russia, the, the system was very different. I'm not sure I, I left the country about 20 years ago. So at that time, we didn't really have college. Um, um, so we have 10 year in school, like from first grade to 10th grade. Oh. And uh, very rarely. And then after that, it's, you must go to university. I would say 90%, maybe 95% of all Russians have master degree. It's not like a question. You can figure out what you want to do later, but you got to go after school without taking any break to university to get your master's degree. Um, some people very rarely who may be not very good students or just like have unfortunate families might um, kind of drop out of school after the eighth grade and go to college, but, you know, to study for like a few years, I think three years uh, and then stay there, kind of like don't finish university to get their master's degree. But it's very rare, at least at the time when I was in school um, and living in Russia at the time, that was very rare that a person would go to college. 
college was something was like very low quality and didn't really um, provided any like good education or foundation to continue your future. So I didn't go to college. I went to school for 10 years and then went to law school for five years. And I was thinking about doing my PhD in law. And then at that time, I moved to the um, United States. So that's how my career <laughs> happened. Wow. Okay. Well, it, it sounds very interesting. And then from there, you you what did you do after you got your uh, degree then um, from Berkeley? I mean, did yeah. you go straight into a law firm or did you go to some other type of business? So I, when I came to United States, I, uh, before I went to Berkeley, uh, I went to Berkeley after being in the States for quite some time. Um, I decided, first of all, I didn't speak really any language, uh, that was passed. I, I actually got in into law schools after the first year being in us, but I realized I can barely have a conversation and studying law in another language would be very challenging. So I decided not to pursue and waited for another 15 years to go back to school, which I'm glad I'm glad I did uh, because I had a chance to explore different opportunities from like working in, in the government, working in um, at different universities. And then I joined big law firm at Wilma Hale at that time, Helen Dorr. Uh, and it was very helpful because I have the credentials. It was just a little bit harder for me to practice law here because mm-hmm. I, I I really didn't have my bar exam. Uh, and then I got tired and I decided to take a break. And uh, <laughs> that idea, I went to Berkeley Law School for the LLM program. It was a ninth month program for foreign lawyers. And I specifically picked Berkeley because they focus on IP and privacy and technology and had world-known experts like Paul Schwartz and um, Chris Hofnagel. And I just wanted to be around them. But mm-hmm. I also didn't want to do privacy anymore. I started doing privacy uh, long before it became hot as it is right now. I've been in privacy for 15 years and I was in financial industry and I found it very disengaging and boring. I'm a person of action. I need to build and create and financial industry is one of the most established, mature industries. And um, not much was happening at that time. There was no Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> at the end of my career in financial industry, and I was there for eight years, I kind of got a glimpse of, you know, the web banking and mobile banking. At that time, it was, was huge. It was like one of the, you know, the, the biggest innovations um, of, of the financial industries. And so, yes, yeah, so when I left uh, and, you know, my career kind of went back to law school, I was thinking, I just need to do something else. Mm-hmm. I wanted to quit privacy and start doing something like arbitration or mediation. For some reason, those two fields are very attracted to me. I talked to me and uh, Chris Hofnagel, my professor, privacy professor at Berkeley, convinced me not to do that. He said, you're <laughs> just in the wrong place in the wrong time. Privacy is happening. This is the field now. You got to stay. We need more people who come from the experience and background like you are and uh, been doing privacy for for, for years before uh, what, what's happening right now currently in the industry. And I'm so glad I listened to him. So, yes. <laughs> so <I speak> privacy. <laughs> well, certainly. And, you know, now just look at all the different uh, types of issues and topics that privacy is involved with. I mean, it's around us in our daily lives. So, um, so after you got your degree then at Berkeley, 
did you start your own business then or did you go into uh, working for another organization at that point? Mm. No, I didn't start my business at that time. I spent a few years at McKesson. It's a Fortune 5 company, healthcare technology company, the global huge um, company. And I worked in their corporate office, actually global privacy office. I was, I think, number four employee of the global privacy office, focusing on building the global enterprise level privacy program for such a huge corporation as uh, McKesson. Um, Sharon Analek, who was at that time chief privacy officer, hired me and I was working with her and it was um, a lot of fun. It's kind of like working for a startup inside of the big company because the privacy war office was very agile at the time. We were building from scratch. We were talking to each business unit that was a separate fortune company, looking at their privacy programs and see how we can align what each business unit has on the business level to build the global enterprise privacy program for such a huge corporation. It was a lot of fun. I I really enjoy uh, my time there and I've learned so much. Just like even like applying my knowledge to such a um, big size company was very interesting and challenging. And, and, I, and I love doing, I love challenging work like that. Well, and is that where you started working maybe a little bit more with information security too? Yes, yes. Yeah, I've, I've done some work with information security uh, at the bank because when we were building online banking and mobile banking, I was leading the projects and I was um, uh, working on some other regulations like ID theft where collaboration between security and privacy was very important. But it was very interesting collaboration because at that time, and at that time I mean like 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, very mm-hmm. often when you're thinking about privacy and security controls, you had to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have both. And it was, sometimes it was not like a collaboration versus I give you this if, I, if you give me that between privacy and security teams. And it was very interesting dynamic. Then later on now, you know, I would say five years ago, it, it was become, it became more collaborative culture and the partnership between two teams. Now, actually, I think, and, you know, one of the things I truly believe that the industry is emerging. Privacy and security really colliding into one industry called the data protection or something else. There are going to be still some fields or some aspects of privacy and security that are going to keep being separate. But many of the aspects and controls emerging, and it's impossible to choose one or the other. It's kind of like they're both together in, in, in one Uh, operational kind of control, which is very interesting to see. Oh, yes. Well, they definitely, definitely have to to work together for them both to be successful. Now, right now we have a a break coming up, Elena. So um, now's time for a really quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Elena Elkina co-founder and partner at Alita Consulting and co-founder of WISP, which we'll talk about later. And Elena, I apologize. I'm saying your name incorrectly. I'll get it right when we come back, I promise. (laughs) I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. 
business? You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm speaking today with Elena Elkina, co-founder and partner at Alita Consulting and co-founder of WISP, which we will talk about here in a little bit. But Elena, first, you know, starting your own business, you're co-founder of Alita. So what motivated you to actually put forth the tremendous effort that I know from owning my own business and start what motivated you to start your own business? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to see how I can answer this question without spending like an hour. <laughs> um, I never, I just want to say that I never had a job I didn't like. And I, I'm very fortunate. Every job I had in my career, I loved it, everything about it. And and I always feel like even if I didn't like something, I made it that I like it. I found interesting, challenging tasks and talked to my boss, etc. But I got to the point where I just stopped growing in a way. And I felt like where we are in the industry, privacy and security, there are enormous opportunities. So exciting. And and you just have so many options open for you, especially being Silicon Valley in San Francisco. There's so many companies from startups to big companies doing amazing things. Some of them I don't really like, uh, but uh, it's just exciting to be part of this movement. So I, when I started looking for a job where I wanted more challenges, more interesting opportunities, also I get bored very quickly, so I need to change things from time to time. I couldn't find anything. And I had probably nine job offers. I declined them all. I, 
And it's not being cocky. It's just I couldn't find everything that I wanted. Either the team, um, you know, that not the best in my opinion, or maybe the company is working on some issues that don't align with my personal values. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was uh, the work is too boring. It's more maintenance versus challenging and a lot of building experience that I was looking for. I couldn't find anything. I was looking for over almost a year and my former boss at McKesson told me, you will never find a job for you. For your personality, you need to create your own. And mm-hmm. I kind of listened to him. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I will create my own. And I started doing my own consultant services and privacy. And it was fun and interesting, but um, it doesn't matter how much you love doing what you do and how diligent you are and organized. It's very challenging to be alone. Mm-hmm. So my good friends uh, and colleagues um, Kinisa Ahmed and Ale Gennaro, they're also co-founders of Women in Securing Privacy. And we used to work together. We actually became colleagues first and then friends. They used to work for me when I was at McKesson while they were part of different consulting companies. They they also kind of like in the same intersection, kind of looking for something, uh, trying to think about leaving their current jobs. And one night... Um, we decided, you know what, like, let's just do it. I shared with mm-hmm. them that I really enjoy doing my consulting services, but I find it challenging. I feel like I need a team, even a small one, to just feel like I can share my successes and challenges with others. And one night they just texted me, hey, we started the business. Are you in? I was like, yes, I am in. And that's it. And um, I just, I can't believe it happened this way because now I, I continue doing what I love working with amazing companies on challenging issues, majority of issues we're working on, we never addressed before and industry never addressed before. Like new regulations are coming up, like GDPR was new, now CCPA and other challenges, challenging, interesting uh, business opportunities. And I have amazing partners with whom I work and uh, our team is fantastic and it's just been great. Um, So yeah, that's the story. Yeah, well, I love that. It's like um, it's all of a sudden, and and oftentimes that's how businesses get started, right? You're you're looking and looking, and you can't find something. So, why not uh, build it yourself? I mean, mm-hmm. how many years ago was that then? And what year did you start uh, your business? Yeah, it's been it's our third year in business, and I was doing my own consulting work a year before. Okay. So yeah, I've been doing it for four years, and I love it. Um, well. Mm-hmm. Where did the name Alida come from? <laughs> it's a combination of different things. When we were trying to come up with the name, it was one of the most challenging things actually ever. <laughs> uh, it sounds so silly because the name is just the name. But, you know, they say like how you will call a boat, uh, it will perform the same way. And and mm-hmm. we um, look at things that we're all passionate about, like music and arts and uh, powerful women. And we all kind of found that, you know, Greek mythology and like goddesses is something that we um, are really interested in. And we tried a few couple of variations. And once we one the variations we liked and names we liked were taken already. But somehow we were just playing with one name that was already taken. And I think I think Ale, one of the partners, misspoke or said something and became a leader. I was like, hey. That actually sounds not bad. It does sound Greek a little bit. And, you know, it, it's no one has this name, so let's use it. Yeah. So, and uh, that's how the name was, the company's name was born. Kind of like a, 
like a small mistake. <laughs> yeah, but it's memorable. I mean, it's very memorable. So I think you picked a great name. Um, so then you started your own consulting as a, a single consultant. You went in and you, you uh, co-founded Alita. So what was the most challenging part then of building a business? Because I get a lot of my listeners ask about, you know, should we start our own business? Should we go work for another organization? Especially I get questions from those just graduate, graduating out of college saying, I want to be a, a, you know, do what you do. And I just want to start my own business right away. And it's like, well, you know, it helps to have experience. But what's the most challenging part of building your business and getting started and putting, you know, your business out there and and gathering customers and clients? So if if I, um, it's interesting, because I think the challenges are different depending on on the phase where you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I mentioned, when I was alone, the challenge was for me to be just relying on myself because I'm very mm-hmm. good with excuses. And at some point I had to come up with some good excuses why I shouldn't do that or I postponed something and and it, I had no one to argue with, right? So I kind mm-hmm. of like noticed that I became a little bit kind of uh, just, you know, my interest was not as high as when I started. But when uh, we started our leader, I think the most challenging thing, not only for for a business like ours, but also for any company, is is people, is talent. People is the biggest treasure any company can have. Without people, it doesn't matter what product you have, it's nothing. Um, it's, it's just, you're so lucky if you have people who are wonderful and, you know, intelligent and you have understanding you don't have to have the same opinions. In fact, it's actually better when you share different opinions. But people is the most challenging thing. It's hard to find talent. It's hard It's hard to find people who write for the company, who can reflect on your vision and mission and help you grow the company as, as well as help your clients and deliver value. Um, but And it remains and it will remain the most challenging thing. We're lucky. We have an amazing team of people uh, right now, and um, but I gotta say that there are some other challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you start the company and get the right people, for example, the beginning is right partners, mm-hmm. right? You know, third parties who can help you, who can build your website, uh, and and hear you and really feel like what you wanna, how you envision that. Um, other vendors who can help you to build business, like your CPA and your, um, I don't know, bookkeeper, etc. But later on, I think it becomes very challenging to draw a line between your business and your personal life mm. because we're so passionate. Usually people who start their business are very passionate about that particular service or product. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, of course, people who are driven solely by money, but majority of people I met who are entrepreneurs, they are driven by passion. And because you're passionate about something, it's so easy to continue working because you love it so much. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And one thing you, it's a challenge to remind yourself constantly to stop. When you, <laughs> because if you don't stop, you will burn, burn mm-hmm. out. And when you burn out, you will lose interest. 
your work will be affected, your deliverables will be affected, your client will notice that you're not very attentive, your team will notice that you don't care. And it's very important to stop on time. And when you have your own business, especially when you have a virtual office and you don't go to the office all the time, it's very hard to draw the line between when your working hours stop. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a constant challenge, especially for me. I, I want to speak for myself only that um, I just love so much what I do. And, um, you know, our clients and work and type of projects, it's hard for me to stop my working hours and my weekend hours dedicated to work. And it's a constant struggle with myself to say, okay, Elena, enough. Let's have fun now. Other fun. Yes. <laughs> oh, like go on a hike or read a book or hang out with your friends. Um, so that's, I think, another biggest challenge in addition to people and human capital. Yeah, you know, I agree with, I mean, I experience some of those same things. I mean, I love the work I do. I find it so interesting. Everything, there's something new every day, right? So it's easy to just work, work, work. But after a while, like you said, you start getting maybe tired or or just, you just need a break. So you need to get outside and, you know, go for a run with the dog or whatever, and don't you find after you take that break then, too, uh, maybe a day, maybe a few hours, maybe 15 minutes. It, when you come back, then it's actually more, I don't know, stimulating to start back to work again. So I think uh, for those those just getting starting in their careers out there, I always hear people telling them, you got to work hard. You got to work hard all the time, all the time, all the time, which, you know, you need to be focused and be a, have good work habits, but you still need to take those breaks. Absolutely. You work hard and you play hard and it has to be balanced. Otherwise, yes. it will bite you. It will bite you and it's just a matter of uh, when, not if. Yes. Well, I want to get to the types of projects that you really enjoy working on most because when you're talking about privacy, my goodness, today there are unlimited numbers of privacy risks out there. So what type of projects do you really love working on maybe more than some of the others that you love as well? Oh, that's a challenging one. You know what? It goes, it's my favorite type of projects is the project that no one knows the answer to yes it's, it's something <laughs> like there is no clear like when the company comes like we need to write a policy or we need to do an assessment it's fun it's great but it's kind of like we have a framework uh, you know there are regulations to follow but when a company comes and says hey we're in 55 com- com- countries we have 10 products and services we are uh, covered, uh, we are financially, financial, financial regulations applied to us, healthcare regulations applied to us. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, like, you know, we have maybe educational records. So when you start thinking about all these different geographies and jurisdictions and industries, and they ask you, please come up with uh, uh, legal control frameworks how to operate and tell us about our risk. It's like, ooh, this is interesting mm-hmm. because usually you don't have a template for that. You you can utilize some templates, but you need to align them. You need to look at the common rules that apply and you look at the outliers. It's usually complex. And the first time I've done this type of project, I was going crazy. I was so nervous. I was so stressed out. But when the puzzle, it's like you think about how you eat an elephant one piece at a time. Then mm-hmm. the puzzle starts coming together. The satisfaction was 
hard to explain. It was like so gratifying. I was like, wow, oh my God, I'm doing this. And this is so amazing. It feels so good. So I, I love this type of project. Very complex, where there is no clear answer. And you kind of think about not only laws and regulations, but also like business strategy and risk appetite. You learn about the company and what they're planning to do. And are they planning to expand? Are they planning to release new products? Like, like just learn about all these aspects and mm-hmm. combine it all together. That's my favorite type of project. And every solution is slightly different because every business is different, right? So Exactly. I mean, I hear so many people who want to get into IT security or privacy careers, you know, and when they start talking about it, they talk about like, well, I can help all, you know, all the the companies the same. And I think that's something, an important lesson maybe to pass along that every company has a slightly different need because they're their own unique organization. Yes, absolutely. And that's another thing I love doing uh, because every company, it's like a person. They have yeah. a character, and um, and you know the character is built from different departments and teams, and I love working with people. It's challenging. People have their own, you know, interesting qualities that you have to work with, mm-hmm. but figuring them out and trying to listen to them. Okay, what is it you're telling me? One thing, but what am I reading between the lines? Mm-hmm. It, it's very interesting to me. It's kind of like intelligence right emotional uh, intelligence i really like how privacy it's very important like for example kind of like aligning working for individuals and working in privacy very often the regulation is is you know very clear about something but there are some aspects like the privacy notice needs to be transparent and the font used the you know the font that you need to use need to be you know clearly um like you know people can see it so all mm-hmm. these little things about user experience it's not about the law it's how mm-hmm. you interpret the law and and use the basic like ux experience to really apply it to the regulation and i find it very interesting how certain um days you are a privacy professional or security professional but you were like a marketing or business development hat or ux mm-hmm. hat and I like that. It's like a combination of various skills that you need to have to be a good expert and good at what you do. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, the user experience, I think one of these days I'll have to do a show just on that because that is such an important aspect. I think that a lot of professionals in our field um, don't think about, but it's it's uh, contributes so much to the success. But before we get too much uh, further running out of time I want to talk about WISP a little bit so where did the idea for WISP come from idea for WISP um so it was seven of us we seven women we all met at the IAPP networking event here in San Francisco and um some of them um I knew before and some of them you know were new to me I met them at that event first time and we kind of develop a relationship. We start seeing each other at other events. Uh, and we all talked about how there is no group or platform globally for privacy and security professionals and specifically women. And we realized that it's very hard to be good at what you do without knowing both privacy and security. And many of us, I mean, some of us at the time were doing privacy, some of us were doing security, some of us were doing both. Um, 
and we decided, you know what, if there is nothing like this exists, let's create something. And we really did it for ourselves. We didn't plan on expanding it to others. We selfishly created this group and started meeting every month um, just to talk about issues we experienced at work and coming up with solutions and teaching and learning from each other. And we became kind of popular in a way. People, women, um, start messaging us, telling us, hey, I heard about you doing this. This is cool. Can we join? And we were laughing because there was nothing to join. And we expanded the group to like a few more people. Uh, It was hard to, you know, maintain it in the way that we were doing it because we had potlucks at someone's house. So happy hour. So the... You know, we decided, you know, what there is interest in the industry and we decided that we will do an event. Mm-hmm. At that time, trustee um, volunteered to host us and we had about 170 women who came to that event. Wow. And, yeah. And we had focus groups where seven of us divided into seven groups and we led a discussion with each of those seven groups asking the same question. Why are you here? What do you expect if we if we build something? What do you expect us to do as an organization? And uh, everyone had the same comments. There is no platform for women, uh, not only for privacy or security, but like for both privacy and security. We want to learn from each other. We want to connect. We're really missing this connectivity piece. And it was it was very clear to us. Okay, we are not alone. There are more women in the community who desire the same and we decided to start an industry group. And at that time, companies started reaching out to us saying, this is fantastic, this is awesome. Some companies said we care about diversity and they're struggling uh, with uh, having a diverse team. Or some companies said, we want to help you. How can we help? We have a location for your event, so we have money. So we said, okay, well, let's do a nonprofit organization to make it happen. And that's it. That's how the organization was born. And a way from our very selfish desire to help each other, mm-hmm. um, that grew into uh, a global organization as it is right now in four years. Wow. Well, how many people are members now? Do you have a... Oh, my a- God. Yes, I think, I think uh, we, we just did the report um, in December. I think uh, we have about 2,000, maybe more. Wow. But we don't have formal memberships. So basically anyone can become a member by signing up to our newsletter, kind of like becoming a member, you know, that way. Mm-hmm. But we also have a different database of people on Twitter or social media like Facebook and LinkedIn. We have different groups. And, um, yeah, so we have big, like huge following and it's growing very quickly. Well, so I know a lot of my listeners now are going to think, how can I sign up for that um, after you've been describing it? So so how can listeners uh, sign up and go see more information about WIS? You, you mentioned Twitter, but d- can you give like the actual Twitter ID and maybe um, any emails or what, however yeah, else? Absolutely. So the easiest way is to visit our website. It's www.wisp.org. Dot com, And you will see how different tabs, how to connect with us. And you can sign up for our social media, like on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, our newsletter and updates. We have a global newsletter. We have a newsletter for San Francisco, 
for New York and Ireland. These are our three offices right now. Wow. And we're expanding. Yes. Yeah, so if you're interested in starting uh, an office in your location, um, feel free to contact with us. Information can be found on the website as well. And uh, there are also different programming services that we offer. You can sign up for all of them and learn more about them on our website. But for Twitter, it's very quick. It's WISP.org. Um, mm-hmm. So just kind of like the same as our website, just without.com. Okay, W-I-S-P dot org. No, 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 WISP. It's a W-I-S-P or R-G dot com. Oh, okay. It was taken the domain name, so we had to improvise. Uh, okay, okay, good. Well, I'm glad that you corrected me there. W-I-S-P-O-R-G dot com. Correct, yes. Correct. Okay, great. Okay, we're getting here close to the end of our show already, and I have so much more stuff to talk to you about. But um, for all of our folks listening who are interested in this, uh, these areas as being a career, you know, what is the, the key point today that you want to leave with our listeners about having a career in IT or information security or privacy? What, what advice would you give them or just a point to take away from our conversation today? Yes, it's, uh, if I would have to give one advice, I would just say do not stop growing and start before you're ready. Never wait until you're ready. If you're ready, it's too late. Mm-hmm. So that's my point. That's my advice. Oh, I love that. You know, uh, that's kind of how I've uh, done my career my whole life, too. I always like taking the road, the the road that had never been been there before. <laughs> it's uh-huh. fun to create, isn't it? So, well, exactly. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Elena. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed uh, speaking with you greatly. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy uh, talking to you as well. Thank you, Rebecca. Yes, thank you. So today I've been speaking with Elena Elkina, co-founder and partner at Alita Consulting and also co-founder of WISP. And that is at W-I-S-P-O-R-G dot com. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic of various careers in these areas? Did you find the information that we provided to you today helpful? Well, let me know. And do you have a topic to suggest that I cover? You can contact me with questions, comments, and provide me with your show topic ideas using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you'll be able to listen to the recordings. And all of my recordings, uh, all 64 of my previous recordings and soon the recording of this show, will also be out there for you to listen to. And there are a lot of very interesting interesting topics out there um, that you might want to go back and look at from throughout last year as well uh, that you'll find interesting. You can find all of those on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, in addition to, of course, VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. Also, get in touch with me for information security, privacy, and compliance keynotes and being an expert witness and so on. I urge all of you to stay aware of and notice 
information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities and when you go to your job and you do your daily work or when you encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. You know, I'm looking around wherever I go every day and I always notice these different types of things. It makes you wonder sometimes. So until our next show, ask those you do business with and that you work for, are they doing all that they can to secure the information that you've entrusted to them? Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe. 